Senator Jacinda Nampajimba-Price. Welcome back to Karma. Thanks for having me. It's been an amazing few weeks. Just take us back uh, to that very first day in Parliament for you. I mean, it's been a long journey and perhaps going back a few years ago, you've obviously had hopes and ambitions, but to actually be in the federal parliament. Oh, look, it's incredibly humbling to be in that position. I think it takes a little while to, at times, to sink in. You know, sort of walking the halls of parliament and standing on the floor of the Senate and just realising that there's only really a handful of uh, those of us who have had the opportunity to be able to do that. And it's just such a, it's just an an honour to be there. And the wonderful thing is also when you walk around Parliament, seeing some of, you know, my family's artworks and knowing that my, my grandmother's brother his artwork, Mr Nelson's artwork, is, is the mosaic right at the front of Parliament and knowing that there's that connection there. It's just, yeah, it, it, has, it was very emotional couple of weeks, those first weeks uh, in Parliament. Your maiden speech to Parliament, I think that took a few people by surprise as well. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, there's a lot of issues that I've been obviously been campaigning on and and I feel like, um, there's certainly the issues that stand now and I wanted to make it very clear that when I go into that parliament, I'm going in there because I want to make sure that I'm enabling some of those really vulnerable voices. And when it comes to a lot of the issues for you know Indigenous Australians, for, for Yapa people, I think it's been difficult because when your first language is in English and you're still you know living in these remote communities, often... It is, it is those people that aren't well understood and their voices aren't heard so much. And they're the voices that I want to carry with me into Parliament because it is those people that are most marginalised people in this country that need to have access to the same opportunities as all other Australians. And so it's important for me to make that very clear um, and to also acknowledge those that have been lost in violent, horrific ways so that they're never forgotten, that we we honour them and that their lives weren't taken in vain. And and that's 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 what I want people certainly from Northern Territory, from remote communities to understand. I'm there to fight for you. I will draw that line in the sand, I will step up to it, and I will demand that changes take place in the best possible way to to provide opportunities for everybody. Because the way, obviously, I was brought up in the Northern Territories, I understand we're all connected as Australians together as one, no matter what our background is. You're there to represent all Territorians, not just a select few or members of a a certain party. Your job is to be there for all Territorians. That's right. And even for those that might disagree with me, I've had conversations in the last couple of weeks with people who have said, you know, there's some things that I didn't agree with you on, but when I heard you speak, I realised you're there for us. You're there to talk on behalf of us. And I'm happy to sit down and have conversations with people who have, you know, different concerns because, you know, while if people didn't vote for me, that's fine, but I'm still there to be a representative. And I'm still happy to sit down and have conversations and look at ways that we can bring about solutions moving forward. I think that's really important for me and for people... Of, of all different backgrounds to understand what our needs are across the board. There's, you know, there's lots of issues that affect us, especially from the Territory. You know, we've only got so many representatives 
So we need to be a strong voice in that parliament for the Northern Territory. I think there's always been a narrative that's been pushed about Aboriginal Australia, and that narrative has been created by people of Indigenous heritage who don't necessarily understand traditional culture. And it has been a divisive narrative, I believe, about, you know, there's like there's a fight against white Australia and black Australia. And that's really been pushed more so recently. Whereas, you know, when you grow up in the Territory and you've got a white fella dad and an Aboriginal mother, you know very well that um, we get on with things. We marry each other in the Territory. We have families together in the Territory and we just see ourselves as Territorians, as human beings, not by the colour of our skin. And there's a lot of people that believe that all our problems are the fault of white fellas. And I say that narrative actually takes away our agency, tells us that we're not responsible for our own personal lives, for our family, which means we can't solve our problems. But if we take responsibility and stop pushing that narrative that everybody's believed all this time, then we might actually be able to start empowering. You know, people might feel empowered to actually take, take control of their lives uh, to improve their lives and their own family's lives. And people always try to push that narrative onto me and say to me, well, you know, we've done the wrong thing by you for 250 years and all that sort of thing. It's like, hang on a second, I'm not blaming you. When my family had our commemorative ceremony for the Coniston Massacre, we, we said to the descendants, we don't blame you for, you know, what your grandfather did to our family. We know what happened. We want to we wanna move forward together with you and understand there were really tough times in our history, but we're going to move forward together and take responsibility for ourselves. And as long as people keep telling you that you're a victim, and as long as people keep saying, poor bugger you because you're a black fella, you're never going to be able to move forward. But if you just say, look, you're a human being, you're capable of great things, you just got to take control of your life and you can achieve those things. Think of that perpetual idea that we're always victims of white fellas and that the government owes us something because the government can't give you power. That power comes from within yourself. Again, you know, it's, it's that idea that we're all the same, that we're all Aboriginal people, we're being put together in one group and that we're all the same when we're not. We're all individuals as well. And then we belong to our own family groups. We belong to our own language groups. There's all of that going on. We don't, there's no voice for just white fellas in this country where we say, righto, all, these, all this legislation, all this policy that affects white fellas, you come and talk to us and how, how it affects you. This idea of a voice, bush mob don't understand exactly what all that means. The government's not even clear on what that looks like. And they're suggesting that something like APSIC put in our constitution, another bureaucracy is going to help us. I mean, how many, how many agencies and how many you know, like land councils and everything, we've got to do all this negotiation through. They're going to stick another one on top and then that's got to be another way that's supposed to help. I just think we should be making, making these agencies and then bureaucracies do a better job because they're supposed to be representing, well, they claim to represent Aboriginal people. And I think that our focus should be on not all Aboriginal people because some Aboriginal people are doing all right. You know, they don't need help. Just because you're Aboriginal doesn't automatically make you marginalised. But we should be looking after those who really need the support and the help and the focus, you know. People whose first language is in English. People who haven't got the best education background. But the voice, this idea of the voice, that's being pushed 
by people in the cities, as far as I'm concerned. That's who's pushing this. They've already got an education. They've already got high-paying jobs. They've already been running the organisations, and now they want to run this voice through the Constitution. Whereas I'm saying, no, 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 let's just focus our efforts on mob out bush who need the same sorts of opportunities, who should be able to use their land to create businesses, to create jobs, to be able to send their kids to school, so that just like those people pushing in the voice had those same opportunities. What alternatives are there for the mob you're talking about, those in remote communities? I mean, obviously, mob are different. Western Australian remote is different to Territory, different to Queensland, different to South Australia. Who gives them a voice? Their federal representatives are those who they have elected to the parliament. So it's our job to do better to hear those people and to make sure that they're heard in Parliament. It, that, that's what our job is. And like now more than ever, we've got 11 Indigenous Australians representing those voices in Parliament. In the Northern Territory, we've got three of us. You know, we've got me, we've got Mullingerry, we've got Marion. So it's our job to listen to those voices and from them tell our decision makers, right, this is what the situation is here and this is what the situation is here. The problem is, for so long, it hasn't been done honestly. But it is our responsibility to do that. And we shouldn't be pushing that responsibility elsewhere to this idea of a voice. And personally, I think, given that we've got 11 people, more Aboriginal people than ever in, in Parliament, um, more than the, that, that represents the actual population, is, is testament to the fact that our country is doing what it should be doing to ensure that those voices are heard. And I think it's an insult that this idea of a voice is is supposed to be doing our job for us. We've just got to do it better. That's what it comes down to. I'm a country Liberal Party member sitting in the National Party room, but my position is what, you know, the, the Northern Territory is, if there's an issue that comes up that affects the Northern Territory in a particular way, and it, it, it doesn't sit right, um, if it's in my own party room or the coalition party room, then I, I will determine that at the time and I will do what's best for the Northern Territory um, as a representative in, in, in federal parliament. That's, that's the position I will take. The uh, removal of the alcohol laws imposed on Aboriginal people a long time ago. The country has moved on. But obviously there are still big issues here in the Territory around alcohol. Where do you sit with that? It was put in place to protect vulnerable people, um, women and children, and to save lives, basically, which is what it it was put in place for. And in the lead-up to the ending of the Stronger Futures legislation, there were many Aboriginal community groups, health organisations that really were screaming out to the Territory Government to say, something needs to be done here. We cannot just let alcohol back out into communities, back into town camps, because there's vulnerable women, there's vulnerable children in those places that need to be protected from the onslaught of alcohol. We know what has happened, the result of alcohol abuse in our communities, from the violence, sexual abuse, even people just losing their lives from from destroying their own health. I mean, you know, there's so many of my family members that I've lost. There's not an Aboriginal family that doesn't understand the toll that it's taken on their family and the people that have lost their lives. 
And it disturbs me that the, the Labor government, uh, one of our local members, Chancy Paik, that his government thinks that it's it's more important to allow somebody the right to drink themselves to death than it is to save lives. And from the coalition point of view, the idea was when that legislation came to an end, the sunset clause was there, that it would be rolled over and the Territory government would adopt that legislation and make it the responsibility of the Northern Territory government of the time. But this government failed to do that and we're already seeing the effects of that. I've had former foster parents ringing me saying they're really worried because the kids that Territory families took off them to put back into the family again have been taken away, re-traumatised again because the parents have got drunk and neglected them. One of them's got rheumatic heart disease and is in hospital because that, that child hasn't been cared for appropriately and this is destroying their lives. These are, the, these are the little ones that will end up back on our streets, all these kids that we're seeing running, on, running around on the streets and yet this Territory government is more worried about drinkers than they are about these little kids and I'm really disgusted with that and I'm really concerned about that and that's an issue though that Linda Burney can fix if she wanted to. She could fix. She could. She could put those laws back into place and fix it. But that's not happening right now. There's, we've got Melindy McCarthy and Marion Scrimjaw holding all these meetings with community members. The meetings have already been had. It's time to step up and put the measures in place that need to put be put in place to to look after vulnerable people. The cashless debit card. Where do you sit on that? For a long time, you know, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of women and men too who appreciate the fact that they've had. Basics card and cashless debit card is actually better than the basics card because you can use it right across Australia, not just for those shops that sign up to basics card and it's it's through Indigenous Credit Union and it's just it's like a like a bank card basically, and you know in in the territory it's fifty fifty you get fifty percent that's quarantine fifty percent you get in cash, so whatever you want to get in cash you can get in cash, but. I understand that for a lot of people who've got family who humbug them, humbug them all the time, that they can say, you know, I only got this card here, so I can't give you that money, so that they, their family can't just grab that money and go and spend it on grog or go and spend it on gambling or go and buy gunja or anything like that with it. You know, it's been looking after people. And again, it just breaks my heart that the government doesn't want to look after vulnerable people and they're trying to take away this card. You know, ultimately, what you want is for people to be able to have jobs and not have to have, you know, these payments, Centrelink payment. You get a job, you get Centrelink payment, you can spend your money on whatever you want. But this helps people pay their bills and it stops their family members taking that money from them. So I've always been a big supporter of income management and, of, and especially of the cashless debit card because it's a big improvement um, from the basics card. But now Labor are taking that option away the push to get people into regional centres to access services has meant for many years the provision of services to many large communities could have been a lot better. Where do you sit with that? I mean, do you follow the line that Aboriginal people in communities need to be more town-based to access services or do you see a much greater investment is necessary in larger remote communities to give those young kids some opportunities going forward? We've got to face it. A lot of Aboriginal people, especially the younger generation, they want to be part of the modern world as well. And I feel like 
for a lot of those that want to be part of the modern world, it's like Aboriginal people were given a car, but not, you know, not taught how to drive it. You've just got to figure it out for yourself. And it's about learning and understanding those modern tools to survive in a modern world. You know, traditionally, our young fellows would be, would be taught over a couple of years their country to be able to survive. Well, education is one of those really important tools of how to live successfully in a modern world. And there is only one direction we're going, and that's forward. So if we want our mob to really thrive going forward, then they have to be part of um, understanding that this modern world better so that they can thrive, not just survive, but thrive. One of the things that I know the coalition government invested heavily in was education, scholarships and those sorts of things. And I think education is really important. And two of my sons did their senior years in, in boarding school. And for them, it opened up their eyes to understanding that there's you know, other ways you can live your life. There's other opportunities that can be had. And I think that we should continue to invest in that sort of thing in, in terms of education. Kids can get an education and have options in their life. They can opt to go back and live on community and support their community or they can go and be free to live a life wherever in the world they want to live their life. There's nothing to say that just because you're an Aboriginal kid, you have to just be back out in your community, out on country. Um, and and I, sometimes I think we put too much pressure on kids to do that. In terms of remote communities. I think there are some remote communities that sit on life support and don't necessarily have the capacity to really provide for people in the in those communities uh, a good way of life. I think we should look at what communities actually can do well um, if they have the right kind of support around them to look after people in those places. But a lot of Aboriginal people I know, you know, don't necessarily want to live at Bush anymore, and they should be supported to live lives in some of the bigger centres. But I think for some of those major communities, we need to look at how the Land Rights Act can work better so that people on their own country can actually create businesses and create jobs so that they can have their people in jobs on communities and not relying all the time on government just creating jobs. When Aboriginal people can be the job creators, that's how you empower communities. But I've seen so many traditional owners frustrated with the processes that they have to go through, through the land councils, that they don't feel like they're actually empowered as traditional owners. They feel like their rights are controlled by the land councils themselves to stop opportunities, economic development opportunities from taking place in communities. And that's a, a huge issue certainly one that I've been confronted with as a traditional owner. And there are a lot of people who feel like they've been denied, wrongfully denied, and there's a lot to be said about that and there's a lot of accountability for these land councils that they need to take for those who have been denied for a long time. And that's something that I want to look at going forward because it's not just governments that are responsible for services and, and providing opportunity, but it's certainly up to land councils as well to do the right thing. I hope that amongst ourselves as Aboriginal people, we can stop trying to take each other down and actually support one another. And, you know, for those that do the wrong things by us within our own families, within our own communities, that we can stand up and say, no, we don't accept this behaviour. 
We don't want to accept bullying. We need to have each other's back. Stop trying to silence one another because that's the only way we can move forward. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves and our lives and the way we treat each other as well. And I hope that we can... I know that having so many representatives in federal parliament that we can start to look at having respectful conversations and debate, that we are encouraged to ask questions all the time, to be informed, to understand how things work, to understand how they affect us individually, to be able to ask questions and not be shut down. I think that's really important going forward. Being an Alice Springs Town Councillor, I had groups of people who just wanted me to shut up or my job because they didn't agree with what I had to say. But instead of respectfully having conversations with me, they would prefer to try to bring me down. Now, that's not how democracy works. You're allowed to have a different point of view and you should be allowed to have robust discussions and debate about those different points of view and certainly without being disrespectful or trying to attack each other and bring each other down. And I think having this opportunity in Parliament is going to provide that as well. I think on Q&A the other week there, there was a platform of us. I was the typical conservative voice, but we were able to sit in that environment and have those different points of view and have respectful uh, conversation. And that's how we should be conducting ourselves going forward with everything. I just want to say thanks to everybody who supported me in Alice Springs and throughout the Northern Territory. And you know, my door's always open. I'm very, very busy now that I'm a senator and we've got um, hearings coming up for the cashless debit card around the country next week. But if anyone out there wants to be heard, um, wants their voice heard with the cashless debit card, you can get hold of me through my office, um, through my website. And I want to make sure that what you have to say and think is also part of the conversation. My door's always open to everyone.